0: It was good, it was a nice place. And they got a big menu. They had a lot of stuff on that menu. Yeah, they do. I was surprised, I looked down online and was like, man, that's quite a menu, and it was, it was a big menu. So. Yeah, we when church. Yep, it was a good time over at East Orange, it was a good time going to yeah. Golden Corral. Oh yeah, it was a good time. They're good people over there. Yeah. yeah my favorite dish there is the lobster ravioli. Yeah. Wow, lobster ravioli. <laughs> for two reasons. It's very good and it's not they don't give you volume. Okay. They get like four or five. Yeah. When the first time I saw somebody when they brought a big bowl, it, it was it was big. The first the first I was like, wow, we're in for a treat here. <laughs> so. Now the other dishes look out. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some volume to this good. it. Was good. Yeah, I think they enjoyed it being there. Yeah, East Orange enjoyed us being there last week. They I they It the strengthens them, it strengthens us, it creates yeah. it, 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 it helps grow that bond okay. and know we're not just an isolated. Okay, we will. <laughs> we will. We will. All right, good morning. If you're out there online, um it's a set-it-and-forget-it day, so we don't have anybody manning a microphone. So I'll try to repeat answers. Um, and if you've heard us talking, we're talking about Stefano's or Stefanos in Winter Springs over on this side, and we're talking about East Orange Church of Christ over on this side. So we got we got it going on this morning. So we have got good stuff talking about. Um, we're going to continue our study of the King, Kingdom of Christ. I know we're getting close to the end. Um, me and Chuck don't. We t- <laughs> I think we tag team. So we're going to. Try to catch up here, but we are uh, probably really close. Um, we have looked at the what the Old Testament says about Christ's Kingdom, we have looked at what Jesus says about His Kingdom in the Gospels. We are really in Phase 3, what did the New Testament writers say about Christ's Kingdom. Phase 4 is pretty much a one lesson thing as far as I know. What does Jesus do with His Kingdom following the end of creation? That will be a probably a one lesson thing and we will move on. So, that is what we have taught in here. Um, and that has been a culmination that we started out with Post, post Babylonian exile. Um, and then we looked at the prophecies pointing towards Christ. And we looked at the life of Christ. And now we're at the kingdom of Christ. So so we're kind of finishing that up. And if anybody's interested, it's all online. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on our Facebook page. It's all out there. You got it? I saw you writing it down. Okay, I was just waiting on you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're good. Typically, my commentaries I look at are Kaufman's commentary. He's Church of Christ, um, and uh, Barnes. Barnes is Presbyterian Calvinist. He really gets into some of the, the, the original language. He gets into the customs. He does a good job with that. Kaufman com- sometimes gets on commentary about what other people have said and compares some of that, and uh, it, it gives me a good basis sometimes. And they—they they both, both those guys have spent a ton of time in it. They're both dead. Um, they spent a lifetime looking at stuff and they've done a, a fantastic job. I, I taught a lot of Bible classes, done a lot of study, but the amount of research and such that these guys put into it, it's amazing. So, even, both of them are pre internet. That's the thing. I mean, that's, that's pre internet, not just I looked at a website. That's developing it. I use Bible Gateway. I didn't ever realize I spelled that wrong. Anyways, Bible Gateway is spelled wrong. Um, they got Bible in a lot of different versions. I usually use the English standard. I should have put an H in there maybe. Um, today I am using the Legacy Standard Bible. I've used this for a few weeks just kind of out of spite just to try it. It's a, a 2021 update of the New American Standard. A lot of people in the Church of Christ lose, use the New American Standard. Uh, I think that is Chuck's preference is the New American Standard. So um, it's just an update supposedly greater consistency in word usage. Uh, by and large I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, I'm happy with the English Standard Version too. So either way use studylight.org. That's where commentaries, language tools. uh, I use a little bit of language tools today. I didn't use any maps. My standard color scheme yellow are the words of man, white is the words of God. All right, so we're going to start out in Genesis 14. Um, Genesis 14, 17 through 20. Then, after he came back from striking down Cheddar Lammer, Cheddar Lammer, I don't know how to say it, and the kings who were with him king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. Then he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Then he gave him a tenth of all." So, I want to start with this part, and we're going to get into Hebrews 7, but this is where we're going to start. Uh, There was a war, battle of the kings, and uh, at the end of that this guy Melchizedek, which most of you have heard of, the king of Salem, says he brings out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. This is pre-law, it's before the Ten Commandments, it's before there were Jews, this is... This is Abram before he was Abraham. That's how old this was. Um, and at the end, it says he gave him a tenth of all. Abram, the spoils that he got from the war, he gave a tenth of it to Melchizedek, king of Salem. So, In Psalm 110, 1 through 4, Yahweh says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Have dominion in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power. In the splendor of holiness from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youthfulness will be yours. Yahweh has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And you can see a little difference in this Bible version here, the word Yahweh. Um, I I don't think I usually see Yahweh in the English Standard or... um, I think it probably usually says uh, the Lord or God or the Father, but either way, it's there. And what what I want you to notice for Psalm 110 right here, God the Father basically says to the God the Son, "Sit at my right hand till I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet." And this is where He's at right now, as King. We looked at it a few weeks ago. We looked at the King of being King of kings, and that's where He's at until the enemies, which they are death, sin. Satan, whatever, are under his feet. And at the end it says, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek, however you want to say it. So, and that's where we are going to get into with Hebrews 7. Is Jesus the perfect high priest? So, we'll hit Hebrews 7, 1-3. through For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all, was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who try to get into who Melchizedek was, and so I'm not going to try. It's. It's actually. I think even Matt had a lesson on that a few weeks ago, uh, probably a Sunday night lesson. Um, we're just going We're we're really looking for, is Christ being the priest, the high priest, like Melchizedek was the high priest. That's really what we're looking at through this whole thing, and the fact that he's high priest forever. So, there are eight likenesses, type and antitype. What do you think type and antitype means? Type means usually it's a model. And you see a lot of this in theology, a lot of Bible things. This happens in the Old Testament and it's very, very similar to something in the New Testament. It kind of looks like a model. It's not really the whole thing. Uh, think maybe the, uh, the tabernacle. The tabernacle being a model of the, the temple, but the tabernacle also being a model or a type of the church in general, even though the church is in a building. But it's a type, and it's kind of a place where they worship and by God's direction. An antitype might be something that's similar but with an opposite connotation. I like to say the same only different. And we'll see some of that. So in this passage, there are eight likenesses between Jesus Christ and Melchizedek. What do you see? How are the two compared? Without father, without, without father and without mother. We knew Jesus had a, a mother, right? And his father is God. So by the earthly standards, they wouldn't see him. They wouldn't see the dad. Okay. Anything else? King. king. Yeah, the King of Kings. He's a, Jesus is the King. He sits on. You know, it's, if, if the church is a kingdom, it's got to have a king, and Jesus is the King. Melchizedek was a king. He was the king of Salem. A priest. <laughs> Nobody, yeah, he was a priest. Jesus is a, is a priest, and he continues to be a priest. That's what we're looking at today. And uh, like Paul said, um, a life with no end, right? A life with no end. He's also thinking about Jesus. He'll have a king. He's a king without end. He's the priest without end. Anything else? Melchizedek, the meaning of that name itself means king of righteousness. That's that's also a a name of, you know I don't think Jesus is actually called the king of righteousness, but his commands are righteousness. So he is, if his commands are righteousness then he is the king of righteousness. Um, When we looked at being the king of kings one of the qualifications was he was more righteous, he was perfectly righteous. He's the king of that. He's also the King of Salem. King of Salem means King of Peace, so that's a name that we hear of Jesus: Prince of Peace, King of Peace. Because that's what King of Salem means. So, what do you else see in there? What do you you see in something? If Salem means peace, Jerusalem, the place of peace, right? It's not right now, but that's you know that's what it's designed to be: peace for God. What's another? Anybody know any Hebrew that that word might be similar to? Because know any Hebrew at all? Yeah you do. Shalom. There you go. That's how they say goodbye isn't it? And that means peace. Peace. Shalom, Salem they're very very similar. So we know that word when we hear it. We don't think about it but we know that word when we hear it. So he's the king of Salem, he's the king of Shalom, uh, he's the king of peace. They're both king. They're both priests. We talked about that. Uh, Melchizedek receives tithes from Abram. He received a tenth. What kind of gifts does Jesus Christ receive, and who does he receive it from? Does he receive tithes? No. no. He doesn't take tithes. Tithes are, the word means one-tenth. So it doesn't, it's not one-tenth. But he does take. He does receive gifts from who? How about Jesus? Who does Jesus receive gifts from? You know, actually, he does receive them from kings too. But <laughs> he should, anyways. Let me put it that way. Jesus receives them from the from the followers, from the church, the believers. Okay. Um, and what kind of gifts does he? What kind of gifts does Jesus receive? Is it just money? Basic Say that. Basic necessities, place to stay, related. Yeah, you know, place to stay, um, stuff like that. Um, Jesus receives from us um, love, mercy, the acts of kindness. Those are, those are a lot of times the gifts that we do for, for our king. Say that again. Art? I don't know. Did you say art? Heart. Okay. Yeah, I lost the H part. Yeah, heart. I I, I like that. Um, Yeah, we we owe our hearts to Him. Uh, The love and the mercy, the the general kindness. Um, I like that. I like that. And uh, when you're doing it right, a tenth doesn't even seem like enough sometimes. I know sometimes we get involved with um, acts of benevolence, trying to help somebody out of a hard time. We're limited on what we have to give. We're limited on ways we can help. And uh, sometimes it's like it's not enough. Um, and sometimes it's just what we do for somebody. It's, it's not enough, but it's what, we're, what, we, can, what we can do. Um, Melchizedek gave a blessing to Abraham. Jesus gave a blessing to us. We're blessed by him. The genealogies, which pointed out, are very similar. From the fact that, um, well, Keswick said no father, no mother. Jesus had a mother, father being uh, God the Father. Uh, So they're similar, and they're different. We know the birth of Jesus. That's delineated. That's in uh, Luke Luke two, definitely in there. Um, Even the death of Jesus as a as a human, that's noted. You know, in all four Gospels. But we also know he rose from the dead, so and went to heaven. So it's not there's no end. He's continually, continually there. Melchizedek, we don't have, we don't have his birth. We don't have his death. We don't have his father. We don't have his mother. We don't know how. We don't have anything. We don't know anything about him. He just is. That that passage in uh, Genesis is really what the Bible says about him. Other than when we see the order of Melchizedek later, so, and they kind of use that. It sets up that simile. It sets up that thing to let you know that uh, Jesus is going to be forever. Is really what it does. Back in Genesis, they also saw that uh, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine at the end of the battle for Abram. When does Jesus bring out bread and wine? Last Supper. That's right. That's how that's how we remember him. He brings it out for that. That would be a strange thing. If you fought a big battle against several several kingdoms all at one time, the guy shows up and he brings bread and wine. That'd be a you know a little bit different, I think. You know, that's what he brings. So but that's what he did. He brought that out. There's probably a whole study in that. So moving on to Hebrews 7, verse 4 through 6. Uh, Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the Patriarch who gave a tenth of the spoils, and those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brothers, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them had collected a tenth from Abraham, and blessed the one who had the promises. A lot of the book of Hebrews gets in, it's A lot of times Hebrews and Romans both, they almost seem like a legal document to dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and make something very, 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 very clear with no exclusions. And some of this stuff gets into that. Uh, and I promise, at the end, regardless of how far we get, the last couple of verses tell the whole story, and that's really what you gotta carry away with it. So what portion did Abraham give Melchizedek? A tenth. Okay, we already know what tithe is a tenth. He gave a tenth of his spoils. Spoils. The Greek word is akroth, akroth, akrothenian. It means not just spoils, not just being what he won. It's the best of them. It's the first fruits. Is that what is what it is? So it wasn't just that he gave a tenth of what he won in a war. He gave a tenth of the best. Okay, and that's really what it, what this does. How does this relate to the sacrifices that the Jews made? What do we know about the sacrifices that the Jews made? It's, Whenever they made sacrifices, everything's a tenth. How about the animals? The best, without blemish, the best, without blemish right? First fruits, that's another thing. You gave, you gave out of the, the first harvest, the, the best is what, what you gave. And we also see that in the New Testament, the same thing. So this is just sets a precedent for the whole deal, That is really all this does. Picking up verse seven, without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater, and in this case, mortal man receives tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. The usual procedure in Judaism was for the Levites to collect the tithes from the people, and the priest took a tithe of that tithe. So. So, a tenth of everything was given to the the Levite tribe, and the priests of the Levites would take a tenth of that tenth. So, they would end up with 1% overall. Levi, and in turn the Levites and the priests, essentially paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abram, although they were not yet born and received the blessing too. And this is really what this says although they received tithes from the Jewish nation, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Levi gave a tenth through Abraham, the priest gave a tenth through that. So, that is kind of what it boils down to, for whatever it is worth. Verse 11, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? So, Hebrew authors are really addressing Christians. He's addressing, he's addressing in this whole book, he addresses Christians who used to be Jews, but who have, uh, they're in danger of back to Judaism. So that's who he's trying to address. So that's why some of the stuff, you look at it and go, why in the world did he waste his breath on all this kind of thing? And this is why. They were Jews first, they became Christians, because of the neighborhood, because of their friends, because of their families, they're drifting back. And and even the the preponderance of evidence that somebody would give them. And this may be one of those things is looking at the priesthood. So what is the role of a priest? And what is the goal of a priest? Let's step it forward to a lot of several thousand years. What's the goal of our preacher? What's the goal of Matt? Matt? You know, Matt's got a little bit in that. He's got a hand in that. I know the elders, we're probably, we're probably the ones that receive the burden of that. But he has to, yeah, he has to, he's the guy with the microphone, so. What else is his role? So it's some direction, direction to what? Towards the truth. Towards the truth. And the truth points you to where? <coughs> Towards God. Towards <laughs> God, there you go. That's it. And I like that, actually. You know, there is your steps, you know. The why, 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 and why. Um, I know with some of the uh, the quality stuff that I have to work with, and my air, aerospace customers, they like to talk about the seven whys. Why did this fail? Why did? And they'll you know, ask they'll ask the question why seven times to get the root of the problem. So. Yeah, the goal of a priest, whether you talk about Matt as a as a as a preacher today, uh, which is a whole lot different than these guys, but if you take his role, his whole his goal, his role, is to point us towards God. Point us towards the truth, guide us closer to God. So step it back to the priests of the Old Testament. What was their role? What did they do for the people? They did the sacrifices, right? So they took your lamb, they killed it, sacrificed it. They took your grain, they took your drinks, they took your money, (coughs) And they made those sacrifices to God. So what was their goal in doing all that? The goal was to please God, right? So some of it, and they had to feed themselves, and they had to keep the operation of the temple and stuff going, but to please God was their, their role. I get this on the next one? Yeah, we've got another question there. It is their livelihood. It's their, it's their job, right? So, part of that is their pay as well as everything. Um, they were referred to as mediators. Yeah. They were mediators. So, people, priests, God. Could you get closer to God if you got a mediator in between? Not really, right? Could you go out for your own sacrifice? Couldn't do that. What was the role of the high priest? What did he do? Once a year? He went into the Holy of Holies. Covered everything in blood. Yeah. Kinda. I've heard they tied a rope around them. They had bells on them and some things like that. I've heard that yeah if he fell down dead or whatever because he has some part of that role would be he would uh' forgiveness for his own sins as well as for the sins of others that he'd carry that stuff in there um, yeah I've heard that I don't know that I've seen that in scripture it might be and I don't you know my depth of knowledge is definitely not perfect uh, but I have heard that and it it may come from the commentaries of the Jews it may come from other people's studies, but yeah, uh, because I know part of that is his cleansing of himself and then and the offering of sacrifice for the people. Were sins actually forgiven? And just roll forward, right? And just roll forward. Could anybody just go into the holy of holies? Where, you know, back me out back that up. The holy of holies, God was in there on the mercy seat, right? That's where God resided. Could anybody go in there? No. Just the high priest, right? High priest. Okay. So, the priests, the regular priests couldn't even go there, just the high priest. Does that get anybody closer to God? There's actually a gap there, right? There's really a gap. People, priest, high priest, God. There's a gap. And the whole system keeps that gap. And it never gets closer. More controlling. It, it is controlling. It is controlled, but at the same time there's sin and sin and God don't mix. And if sin isn't forgiven, they still can't mix. So that's part of that too. Um, yeah, the Levitical priesthood, it emphasizes that separation. I think from the people's point, you realize you're a sinner, you realize you fell short, you brought your sacrifices, mm-hmm. you, you paid that forward, I think it emphasized that more than drawing you closer to God. That's what I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't think, I think it just left you in that point. There's people that overcame and did more than that, but it would kind of point you to that. The verse started out with, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, and perfection, and you see it a lot in Scripture and English, perfection usually means completion. Perfect means complete, it doesn't mean 100%. It means complete. So, completion or fulfillment, if the Levitical priesthood emphasized the separation of people and God, what would be needed to draw people closer to God? What would be needed to complete or fulfill bringing people and God together? The perfect sacrifice, right? A sacrifice that forgave all sins, a sacrifice that was never ending, a sacrifice that was a priest that never never ended. And that's what we got. And that's, where, and that's what he's getting at right here. So. Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes a change of law also. Did I skip a verse? No. That's, not. that's good enough. Um, what law changed in the change of priesthood? It's when the priesthood changed of necessity it took change of law too. What law changed with the changed priesthood? When it went from the, the priesthood of the Levites, the priesthood of the Old Testament, to the priesthood of Christ, what changed? Was it just ceremonial law? Was it priestly law? The Ten Commandments? All of it. All of it, yes and no. I'm just, yeah, the ceremony disappeared. The, uh, the bringing the sacrifices. Um, People that try to live under the Old Testament. Um, that's, that's a question that's worth asking sometimes. Do you make animal sacrifices? You know, and what do they do for you if you do? But that disappears. And giving it to somebody to, that's closer to God, that disappears. The priestly law, the laws that the priests had to do, have the tent, the tithing and stuff, that disappears. The order succession, um, the cleansing of themselves, even the Ten Commandments, did the Ten Commandments change? Most of it rolls forward, most of. It. The keeping of the Sabbath, that doesn't roll forward, but the other ones, they all appear again in the New Testament. Um, Exodus 20 verses 1 through3. Um, this is where the Ten Commandments are, if you ever want to look at them for one reason or another. We all know about the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me." To me the times I've taught the Ten Commandments and the times I've looked at that if you stopped right there the other rest of it you know I'm God and uh, I won't tolerate any other gods. And the rest of it gets into how to to love God and how to love your neighbor in support of this. If you are going to love God it takes both. And this is really where the rest of the Ten Commandments are. They all support this. I think if you stop right there you've got really the truth in it. So, the new law does it diminish or improve the old law? If you take the Ten Commandments just like this. Does the new law, does it make it go away? We just said of the Ten Commandments, the only to keep the Sabbath holy is the one thing that disappears. Does it improve it? It improves it. You don't have to check all the boxes. Honor your mother and father. Okay, I'm, I haven't committed murder so far. I mean, that's an easy one to understand, right? Most of us, ho- hopefully most of us will... Sometimes you're clo- Sometimes you think about it, unfortunately. Yeah. We won't tell. We, we won't tell. I, I wouldn't do it, uh, Man, there's some, there. yeah. With stuff like uh, false witness against your neighbor. You know, how, gossip, gossip is, gossip's king, man. Yeah, gossip's really king. Um, honor your mom and dad. Yes, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's not real easy. <laughs> I, I work with mom and dad six days a week, and there are times, <laughs> there are times I lose my cool and sometimes. My <laughs> I try not to, but man. I guess son and <laughs> yeah, well, there's a promise with that. You'll live long if you do. So, uh, yeah. people that live old, you know, somebody in their 90s or 100 years old, they've honored their mother and father. Just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, the greatest command. So, what did we use in this notice as? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the greatest, great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, on these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. This summarizes the Ten Commandments, it summarizes the whole Levitical law, Deuteronomical law, it summarizes all that in a couple statements. Um, it doesn't knock that stuff out. It doesn't make it worth less, although now you can eat lobster ravioli, it, you know, but you couldn't under the old law. But you kind of make a judgment, you know. It doesn't diminish it. It just, it changes it. You can eat pork. Can eat pork. I can't, but most people can. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Of, you know, we talk about the eating laws. There's also, I know some people talk about the men dressing like women. Uh, men, Women should never dress like men. and. Uh, And they use it for, they try to use it where women can't wear pants, Um, but A, it's not applicable anymore, and B, if you read the next verse, it talks about having a tassel on every corner of your cloak. So, you know, you want to enforce one, you better enforce the next phrase, too. Yeah, then and there's some people to believe and if that's what they want to do, that's what they do. I understand modesty, I understand yeah, if if they wanna always wear dresses, wear dresses, you know. Yeah. Is it required? It, it doesn't, you know, like I say it doesn't diminish it, it doesn't improve it. This is where we're at right now. Yeah, we'd be earning back right now and it be <laughs> Yep. Yep. Not all not, not everything's not everything's wearable in the wintertime, right? Uh, we're, we're in our week of winter. I don't know how people do it all the time. So I understand snowbirds. I got a feeling that some of these religions that they practice the old way. They practice the old ways. They, they look, want to live like yeah. they, they, they live in the year one or
1: the
0: year two, you know. Yeah. Women can't do this, we can't do that. You know, can't paint this house, can't, you know. They, just, you they, know. they, they you're right. A lot of, a lot of groups, Take the Old Testament law and, and maintain it yeah. um, the Old Testament law was imperfect and that's what we see here we got a better better thing there's a new priest there's a new king there's a new law there's a new make you, you make you feel guilty and that's why yeah you're right make you feel, this doesn't diminish and it doesn't improve it yeah. if it made you feel guilty you know is it real or is it not real is it yeah, you're breaking the rules of man or you're breaking the rules of God. That's, and there's the key. There's the key. And, and kind of on other people, other Christians, but they come and say, oh, my religion is the way to worship God, not your way. There, There's a lot of that too. Mine's, way, mine's right, yours is wrong, and uh, we'll go with God's word. Mm-hmm. We'll go with God's word. That doesn't change. That's. That's the good thing. It doesn't change. He doesn't change. We'll use it. Yeah, the extra set of rules not always easy to keep. Pick number 13. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has afflict, officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord has descended from Judah, a tribe with a reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. This is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not according to a law of physical requirement but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed about Him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek." Christ, Jesus, the new priest came from the tribe of Judah. You can check that in the genealogies of Matthew, you can check it in the genealogies of Luke. One points to, her, to Joseph, one points to Mary, but both of them come from the tribe of Judah. So Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. The uh, The Old Testament does not say anything about priests coming from from the tribe of Judah. They all come from the tribe of Levi. So there is a new priesthood and it comes from a new tribe and a new order. It comes from the order of Melchizedek. That's really where it's at. Um, Which I think i got it here in a little while. Melchizedek is older than Levi so it comes from an older, you know, you got your Levitical priests and stuff from the Old Testament. But Melchizedek being older and Jesus following something like that it's actually got even more authority. And I guess is how you'd look at it. So, it's very different. Verse 18, For on the one hand there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of the weaknesses and uselessness for the law had made nothing perfect. And on the other hand there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. How well did the law do with reforming sinners and making them righteous? What happened to the ordinance's law? What does the new law bring about? And are we better off? Those are some questions. Um, The old law didn't reform sinners. You paid your sacrifice, but there was no, there was no reformation of that. There was no making somebody righteous. There was no clearing that up. The old law was nailed to the cross with Jesus. New law brings about mercy. It, the new law brings about um, compassion, compassion? brings about a better hope in verse 19, to bring in a better hope, um, so we are better off because of that. In verse 20, And as much as it was not without an oath, for he indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much more, Jesus also became the guarantee of a better covenant. God makes an oath. He makes an oath that Jesus will be priest forever. And that's for Jesus, it's for us. It doesn't change. He'll be the priest forever. And in 23, and the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he was always lives to make the intercession for them. The Old Testament is full of priests because they're human, they die. Jesus will hold the priesthood permanently. We saw that with the King of Kings. He will be king till the end of time, he will be priest, high priest, till the end of time. What's that do for us? What's that do for our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, those people we don't know, those people far off? They got one place. They got one priest. And it says his job is he lives to make intercession for them. Intercession on our behalf. Uh, he's got infinite love. He's got human experience. He's, he's lived on this earth. He understands weaknesses. He understands temptation. He understands sin, even though he had none. He understands that. So he's a perfect intercessor. He doesn't just pass a sacrifice off, he's there to. Like in a courtroom. He's the guy who's the witness. He's the guy who begs for mercy. And I like F.F. F. Bruce's statement he is not to be thought of as an orant, somebody who just stands before her father with outstretched arms, like the figure in the mosaics of the catacombs, with strong cryings and tears pleading her case in the presence of a reluctant God. He's the throned king priest asking what he will from the father who will always hear and grants his request. Keeping Christ in perspective, he is the king priest. He sits on a throne. He's not begging. He tells. He tells the Father, and the Father hears and grants his requests. Basically, this is mine. I I paid the price for that. Okay, I paid the price. 26 through 28, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted from the heavens. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first of his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Christ is a superior priest because he is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted in the heavens. I want to end it with this, what's in it for us. All the stuff about Melchizedek, which sometimes quite honestly is tough to understand. Quite honestly all the comparison of the Old Testament to the New Testament, what the Old didn't do and what the New does. It's summed up at least with these verses, Hebrews 7, 24-27. And I really want you to look at the underlying part of it. Jesus holds His priesthood permanently. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. He always lives to make intercession for them. We have his high priest because he's innocent, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need daily sacrifices like the high priest because he did it once and for all when he offered up himself. This is who Jesus is. He's the high priest, he's our high priest. He makes intercessions for us for that forgiveness that we need to draw closer to God. To be able to put yesterday behind us, to make, you know, to have a place in eternity, it all comes down to him being qualified as the priest forever. So that's what I want you to get out of it. He's the King of Kings. He's the Priest of Priests forever and ever and always. Amen. There you go. So thanks for joining me today. Um, Chuck will be back next week, I think. <laughs> if, If he's not, then I'll be here again. But thank you all.